Total HIPAA compliance prepares health insurance agents and employers that offer health benefits plans meet the HIPAA compliance requirements. We complete the required documents and provide customized online training through our HIPAA Prime service. Today's podcast covers issues important for health insurance agents. Jason Karn, Total HIPAA's Chief Compliance Officer, interviews Annette Bechtel, Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Reform Initiatives for One Digital. She is the upcoming State President of the Georgia Chapter of NAHU, as well as Vice Chair of the NAHU Legislative Council at the national level. Today's podcast is titled, What are the Challenges Facing Health Insurance Agents in the Rapidly Changing Healthcare Marketplace? Annette, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So uh, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I think the most significant thing that I do is to help employers and help agents and brokers figure out the benefits landscape and understand what it is they need to do, should do, what's in the best interest of their employees, what, how, do, how do I as a broker or an agent, how can I provide value and bring the most um, benefit to employers trying to do this great thing of providing benefits to their employees. There's just so much to it. It's very complex. And I have the great luxury now of really being able to focus 100% of the time on just that. And so education is a big part of what I do for both employers, agents, and brokers, and in a number of industry settings, um, associations, et cetera, and uh, spend time speaking to all different groups, whether it's one-on-one, helping resolve specific problems, or talking about things in general. Um, We started to hear this from some of our clients. Um, that, you know, some rumbling with the carriers about um, about planning on requiring agencies to prove that they're HIPAA compliant in order to continue to sell coverages. I haven't heard that specifically, but I can see why that would be. The carriers are under a lot of scrutiny. And with all of the breaches that have been happening, I think they don't have the control over all of their information. They have all these agents and brokers out there. They have all kinds of people selling stuff on their behalf. Um, I think that it becomes unwieldy for a carrier to know for certain they're they're protecting somebody's personal health information because there's so much information passed back and forth. And an agreement is, okay, I could sign that as an agent, but do I really have any practices and policies in place to protect that information? And from the carrier standpoint, information they send to the agent and broker, is that being protected anywhere along the line? How does that work or as it's being transmitted to and from the carrier? It has to be uh, top of mind, especially on the the heels of all the breaches that have happened. Because, you know, a lot of times when people started selling coverages, something they had done their entire lives and, and started maybe 20, 30 years ago, and security wasn't such a big issue because here you're dealing with paper records, you don't have, mm-hmm. you know, email like we have today. You don't have, you know, electronic filings of coverages and all these sorts of things. Now they have to start handling and and haven't uh, necessarily thought about the uh, the technical the security that they need to put in place to make that function properly, um, right. which is right. not only puts their business at, at risk, but also potentially puts the carrier at risk. I would say that there are a lot of independent agents and brokers that – maybe don't have a sophisticated equipment or record keeping or uh, protection or don't even really realize all the things that they might need to do and the things that they, they've been doing 
have seemed to work for them and, and aren't maybe even aware that there are better ways of protecting health information. And I think that's what worries the, the carriers a lot. It, it could be a one-man shop working out of their house. Do they really have all the protections in place that they need to be? So what kinds of questions are employers asking about HIPAA? Do most of the employer groups that you guys work with, do they even know that HIPAA applies to them? I would say no, they don't. They really don't know HIPAA applies to them. Covered entities are required to have business associate agreements. While that would be the employer's obligation to execute a business associate agreement with us, which they don't do because they don't even realize they have obligations or they don't understand they're a covered entity. They don't understand who a business associate is. They don't understand what their obligations are. I mean, they don't, right. they don't get any of that. So I think as an agent broker, we send them when we first work with them. Um, here's a business associate agreement and try to educate them about protected health information and um, helping them identify that, yes, you could be subject to these pieces. This is what protects you. And now it gives us the entree to have that conversation about, okay, this is what it is. These are your obligations. Let's start to talk about your what you do. Um, how do you do that? It's funny. I, I just I got a question just the other day from – Somebody who sent uh, one of our employer groups, their HR person, who just sent me a non-encrypted email with specific people's names, their social security numbers, and everything that was wrong with them, the help wise. <laughs> wow. And you're like, no. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, there, there are teaching moments in there, but um, they don't know what they don't know. And right. so it gives us that opportunity by, you know, um, we have a great questionnaire from you, which we push out to say, hey, are you subject to this? Did you know you were? And then that starts that dialogue, and I think that's what's most important. How long do you think it's going to take for um, for HR offices to come to come to grips with HIPAA or, come, or realize that they actually need to do HIPAA and start to implement it? Unless something significant happens, right? I would say it's going to be 10 to 15 mm-hmm. years to try to get to everybody and make it another part of, just the given here. Oh, if you offer, oh, this is yes, and everybody understands that. Um, I would say that unless something catastrophic happens, unless we have right. some these these breaches become so invasive and worrisome and frightening. When we do get a chance to talk to an employer group, it's about education. It's about saying, hey, not only is this for good good business practice for HIPAA, but you can actually expand this out beyond. Uh, you're, you know, just your HR office. Um, we've had some people mm-hmm. use, use our, our plans expanding out because I think, you know, we're in a new world where, you know, you may, you probably as a company have proprietary information that you don't want your, you, you know, other people to know. You don't want it scattered all over the web. Um, mm-hmm. so having security in general in place is a good practice when starting a business. Um, and it's interesting how that, that sort of like the, like the health plan. Uh, security sort of falls, it becomes an afterthought. It's like, ooh, I got a great idea. Um, and you start building it. And then after the fact, you're like, wait a second, I actually need to protect this idea. Okay. What kind of questions are you guys getting from the, from your employer groups? Probably the number one is, do I still have to do employer reporting? Because it's been such a painful process for employers. So for those who are applicable to large employers, that's their number one question. So can I stop reporting? No. The answer is no, not yet. You know, um, so that's because that is 
probably it's like anything. What's your most painful wound? That's what you remember to tell everybody about first, you know. So that's right. kind of what the the employers are talking about is that. But, yeah, then it brings up those next questions, just like you said. Will I be obligated to? Will I have to offer? Will I have to start to offer to more people? How does that work? Will I have more choices? If I don't have to offer, then what happens to my employees? So then we start to get down to that piece. And, you know, as I mentioned, kind of the 21st century cures and how these small, how small employers have the opportunity now to say, I'm not going to be in the health business. I'm going to, not going to actually offer a plan, but I'm going to help pay, help my uh, employees pay for the plan that they find. Problem is right now, as, as we're telling folks, we got to look at your marketplace. If there's no carriers left in there for them to buy any individual coverage, what are you doing? Then they have right. nothing. So what's that going to look like? So, so for those in the states where there is little choice, um, their questions are significantly different than those who still have a bunch of choice in the individual marketplace. You know, some of them are like, well, we're stuck anyway. I mean, we're going to have to continue to offer more. And the other thing I'm seeing, too, Jason, on that end, is we're seeing a lot more um, local, um, either citywide or state pieces coming in that are requiring employers to do certain things. California's a great example. San Francisco, great example. Employers don't have a choice. They have to make a particular offer. Um, regardless of the Affordable Care Act. So we're starting to see some localities do some of those things as well. And if the American Health Care Act gets pushed in, then what we're going to see is more pushback to the states, and you're going to see 50, 50 different ways of what health care looks like in America because each um, state is going to decide based on their population and demographics what is going to work in their marketplace. So you're going to see a very um, a very different look than what we have today. And I think for some for large employers they're not really concerned about it because they're they're not really affected by state law. So mm-hmm. I see less concern out of the larger employers, a lot more concern out of uh, out of the employers, you know, under fifty or, or in like in California under hundred, you know, that aren't considered large. Right. The one size fits all uh, clearly isn't working for all the states either because of how their populations are, et cetera. Um, right. But then 50 different ways, is that the key too? Uh, who knows? You know, I mean, and like you said before, if we already, if we knew what would work, we would have done it already. So um, it'll be interesting to really watch how some of this plays out. And I think the, they'll end up someplace in the middle. You know, Senate's going to come up with their solution, um, but we've got, you know, a number of weeks before we see something like that. Right. What trends do you anticipate in the next, like, five, ten years? The number one thing on everybody's mind is market stability. Because if there's no, no, not enough uh, insurance offerings, then we're out of the insurance business realm as far as this is how the whole thing works, and it's going to be look significantly different. I do think they'll figure out the stability piece, um, but that is number one, I think, as far as a short-term goal is. I think managing the cost of medical goods and services, that that is the one thing I think over the next five to ten years you'll see significantly change because that is one of the biggest drivers is obviously the escalating cost for all the medical goods and services. 
has gone up exponentially for 20 years and nobody, there's been nothing to address that. And that's the underlying issue of why insurance rates and everything else are high because the cost of reimbursements are high, what's being billed. And so um, part of that is, you know, I think we'll have, we'll start to see, and there's been a lot of call for, but I think we'll see it come to fruition, a lot more transparency of cost to the consumer. Because right now they, nobody, if, if people have insurance, they don't know what anything costs because the, the, those costs are masked from them. And so I think we'll start to see much much more transparency and with that some value-based type pricing that comes in as well about, you know, what are you getting for the for that money? How good is this provider that I'm using? Nobody, nobody's ever questioned that. You know, that isn't right. part of our culture today. Annette, thank you so much for your time and insight today. We hope you enjoyed this installment of HIPAA Talk. If you have any questions you would like to ask our experts, you can find us on Twitter, at TotalHIPAA, our website, TotalHIPAA.com, or email us directly at info at TotalHIPAA.com.